welcome to this episode of Risk On Air. Costs can be a problematic and complicated aspect of legal practice and are often a catalyst for complaint. The issue of costs is under increased scrutiny and with a competitive and savvy market, solicitors are under pressure to offer quick, accurate and cost-effective solutions. This can leave you exposed to risk and complaints. In this podcast, Jen McMillan, legal practice consultant at Law Cover, and Jacqueline Highfield, head of chambers at Clarence Professional Group and cost law specialist, will discuss the risk associated with cost estimates and fixed costs and how practical measures can be taken to manage this risk, maintain a happy client base and get paid on time. Thanks so much for joining us today, Jacqueline. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Jacqueline, we're going to talk about costs today and I've noticed that while solicitors are generally happy to talk about most things, when it comes to costs, there's often a level of lack of comfort in having that discussion with their clients. And the thing that often occurs to me is that if other business people had this problem, it would be astonishing if a plumber came to your house and didn't want to tell you how much it was going to cost and then sent you a bill down the track or was embarrassed to tell you how much it was going to cost, it would really shock us. We wouldn't know how to react. We wouldn't know whether to pay. But routinely, lawyers seem to stuff this up. Why do you think it is that lawyers are often uncomfortable having this conversation about costs? I think there's a couple of reasons. I think we're a particular type of personality, often, um, and often we're very good at what we do, but we're not comfortable about, as you say, saying what it will cost. The practitioners that I I deal with in my daily working life will often say to me, if I tell people what it's going to cost, they'll go elsewhere. So there is that worry that, you know, there's another lawyer down the street or across the road or possibly across the hall who, you know, might steal their client. I think lawyers are often concerned about the client's reaction. So if I tell them what it's going to cost, they'll be horrified. We're not very good sometimes at articulating the value of what we do. So you go to my father-in-law, who's a periodontist, he fixes your gums, you're grateful and you're happy to pay and, in fact, you swipe your credit card on the way out. Uh, You go to the accountant, he sorts out your problem with the ATO or, or whatever it is. Often because when people come to lawyers, even if we get them the absolute best result, the absolute perfect result that they want, they're only going to be being put back in the position that they think they should have been in. There's a hesitancy on the part of the lawyer to say, well, this is what it costs and also this is what I am worth. You know, and I know our hourly rates sound high to people who aren't lawyers or other professionals and many of us are very cognisant of the fact that what we charge per hour someone might make per week. But our hourly rate covers not just our time but all of the business costs that go along with of course it does. running a practice. So I think there's that and I think there's lack of confidence or even knowledge about negotiating and about saying, well, you know, I can do work for, you know, I can do this amount of work for this amount of money but if you need this and this done you know, it's going to be extra. I mean, I think your point about the plumber is very good. I took my car in to be serviced once, expecting it would be a straight service. And I got there and went to pick it up and I was told it was $4,000 and I nearly died. Yeah, because, you know, it it can be a question of cash flow for the client. I didn't have $4,000. And when I said, well, it was meant to be like the $600 service. What have you done? They said, oh, well, we realise the brakes might need doing within the next six months and your air conditioning needed an overhaul and this, that and the other. But they'd done it without asking and they'd done it without notice. And I was horrified, absolutely yeah. horrified. And fair enough too. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the way I look at costs is if my dad was getting this bill or, you know, he was in business for many years as a greengrocer, but he's not, you know, a, a professional person. But if he was getting this bill or he, I was sitting and having a conversation with him about what it was going to cost, 
what would I tell him, you know, and, and what would I know? I mean, I'm a two, we're in a two-lawyer two household and we jokingly say, you know, we can't afford to hire either of us oh, dear. for any length of time because, you know, lawyers are, you know, cost a lot of money. Yeah. Um, and when I say expensive, I don't mean as in unreasonably expensive, but I mean, you know, the hourly rate of most lawyers practising um, in New South Wales would be, you know, not less than $300 an hour and certainly many lawyers are charging 500 or above. Certainly justifiable based on practice costs, but clients need to be aware of that when That's they... Right. Which means down. that you can't shy away from having that conversation, but do you have some some tips for how to start that hard conversation? Yeah. Look, I don't think it needs to be an uncomfortable one and I think you, the more upfront you are about it and the earlier you have the conversation, the more relaxed you'll be about it. I, when I first sort of started working in this area, I was quite hesitant about saying to my lawyer clients because most of my clients were lawyers, you know, oh, well, we charge X percent or we charge this per hour. But I learned that you, you're not doing anybody any favours by not having that conversation. Um, often clients will hear two numbers, the smallest number you say it might cost and the biggest number you say they might get back. And it's really important that you don't minimise the costs and the risks of costs that are involved when you have those conversations. So I think if, if, you're, if you can be comfortable and be frank about, you know, the costs involved, not just your own costs but disbursements, what might incur, you know, filing fees can be very expensive, subpoenas, barristers' fees, if you need experts, people need to have a clear picture because they'll often tell you it's not about the money, it's about the principal. It'll be about the principal until your bill arrives. <laughs> and then uh, it's about the money. <laughs> then it's all about the money. Um, but, you know, people can't make a decision as to how they proceed or the risk that's involved for them if they don't know. Um, so I think being upfront, being consistent in, in how you detail your costs and as concise as possible. I mean, we're all under obligations as legal practitioners under the Uniform Laws and, and previously under the Legal Profession Act 2004 and 87, we actually have a positive obligation to provide this information to our client. I mean, cost is part of our contract. If you think of it as a, as a simple contract between you and your client, they can't agree to a contract if they don't know what the terms of the contract are. I mean, you're required by legislation to do it in writing, but I think having that conversation and having that open discourse is very important. Practitioners will often come to me when they have a solicitor client dispute, so where the client doesn't want to pay their bill. And 19 times out of 20, if I say to them, was there a point where you felt the relationship was going off track, they will sit there and you can see a light bulb almost flicking on behind their eyes and they say, oh, well, their client started to get a bit funny, they were a bit slow paying my last two bills, you know, they weren't returning my calls or whatever. And you, you can almost pinpoint where the relationship has gone off track. And often it's because an estimate's been exceeded or because extra costs are being incurred. So I think there are ways around it as, as well in terms of looking at how you structure your billing and what updates you provide to your client. Some clients will want to be billed more regularly. Some might like fortnightly or monthly. Some matters you may not be able to bill until the end. I know a lot of personal injury solicitors and family law solicitors struggle with this because they can't charge until the end of a matter. So you'd recommend that you not just have a conversation about what the cost is likely to be but also about frequency of billing, get an agreement with your client or, or set up an expectation with your client about... But how often they're going to be receiving bills. Ab absolutely. I mean, if you are, if you can do that from the start, 
then you've got a more open relationship, um, even if it is that your client's not paying you to the end and so you may not want to raise a bill because you don't want to raise a tax liability and a GST liability. There's nothing to stop you giving them updates as you go along saying where you're up to with those fees. But if they are paying as you go, small amounts billed regularly are much more palatable than one big lot at the end in terms of cash flow, in terms of understanding where you're up to. One of the firms I've worked with um, in the ACT have a great system that whenever they send a letter out to the client, they have a few bullet points and the bullet points include original fee estimate, costs incurred to date, further estimated work. Right. And so it's, it's there all the time. It's there all the time. <laughs> Nobody's hiding and clients don't like surprises and when they feel that a lawyer has held something back from them on the cost front, that is when the relationship will say, it doesn't matter what what, how good a job you're doing, if the client doesn't feel they can trust you in relation to billing and you're not completely transparent, then you're setting yourself up for failure in that relationship. Um, so I think that's important. Yeah. So, I mean, it's about trust, as you say. It's also about the client making an informed decision about whether they want to proceed with the legal work and whether they want to proceed with you doing the legal work. Seems to me that that's a time when there might be some, some risks that come up for a lawyer. Are there tips that you have for how you minimise risks when you're having conversations about costs? It's always important to, after you have a conversation to follow it up in writing. Cost disclosure always needs to be in writing. Um, I would always make file notes when you're having those discussions. Um, I think it's very important to be clear about what your instructions are, the scope of those instructions and not just what you're being asked to do but what you're not being asked to do is very, very important. And I would go so far as to say that should be in your disclosure document. So in your disclosure document, and the Law Society has a fantastic template for members of the New South Wales Law Society on their website, and if you're going to use that, I would say don't play around with it too much, don't chop bits out of it because you don't think you need it because it's in there for a reason. And, you know, if you use a, a Law Society one, you can say, look, the Law Society... and has prepared this as a base document, I've filled in my details, I'm required by the legislation that I practice under to provide you with this document. And clients will understand that, you know, you're meeting your obligations. But I think in that document, it's very important to say what you are not providing an estimate for. So it may be that you're providing an estimate for the proceedings, which may be, say, a commercial matter relating to a debt, but you are not covering in your estimate the work associated with recovering Right. any judgment. So put that there so that the client doesn't have that expectation that the $30,000, for example, estimate includes all of the work at the back end. You know, that 30000 might only include getting you to the first day of the hearing or whatever it is, but you need to be very clear about that. Um, I mean, ultimately, clients are going to make the choice to work with you based on how they feel about you, your level of expertise, your trustworthiness, the quality of the relationship they feel they can have with you. And if they perceive value, then they'll stay put. If they feel like, you know, you're trying to sneak around behind them, you know, you mentioned your hourly rate, but now they get a bill and you've, you've charged them $1.50 per page for photocopying and you, you never, they never even thought about it, they're the things that can ruin an otherwise really good working relationship. Yeah. And I guess it's not just the costs conversation that you have right at the beginning. Um, you need to be referring back to where things are with costs, as you said, with the Canberra firm that, that keeps it front and forward all the time. Um, but in terms of managing risk around the way things change as a matter goes, goes along, do you have any ideas about how best to do that? Look, I think 
one area you can manage risk really well, and it's not an area to, to get that's easy to get right, but it's important to, to focus on it, is how you do your estimates. Um, if you can break your estimates down into manageable chunks that people understand, you're minimising your risk from the outset because you're actually turning your mind to what it costs. Um, often when I do talks, I pick things up from other practitioners and the best way of doing an estimate I've ever come across was an older solicitor um, from regional New South Wales who said to me, I sit down and think if I was doing a security for costs affidavit, love, what would I put in it? And I thought, what a great way to break. And he said, I do that right from the start. And I said to him, do you have any tips on how you manage the client relationship? And he said, I feel that if I get if the clients, if I'm getting that sense of dissatisfaction, like I just mentioned a moment ago, I get my secretary to call them and have them come in for a coffee. Now, if you're in a city practice, that might not always work, but you can pick up the phone. And I think there is a, a great tendency to not want to pick up the phone, um, to just send an email. And tone can be really hard to get right in email. Pick up the phone and and say, you know, how, you know, how do you feel we're going? Um, you know, is there anything you're concerned about? Always document it, always follow it up because, you know, file notes are your friend. Um, you know, you want to create that paper trail in terms of your own risk management. Um, but it is really important to stay on top of where you're at with an estimate and to keep clients updated about it. Um, my rule of thumb is to, however you record your time, whether it's on paper or you have an electronic system, however you, and I see everything from the, the minimal to the over the top, um, somewhere in there have a system that if you get to about 70% of the estimate, some sort of alarm bell should be going off so that you know that you've got to sit down, look at the file and work out whether what you've got left in the kitty is going to be sufficient to get you to the end of the matter. And if it isn't, you need to be telling clients why and you need to be doing it then and there. If things have changed that have affected your estimate, like someone becoming a senior associate within your practice and their rate going up, you need to be telling the client about that. Um, it's all about transparency and it means that you're proactively managing the relationship rather than reactively managing it. And I think being proactive can save you so many problems mm. in the long run. Yeah. So with estimates, where do you think that practitioners fall into traps? What are the problems there and what can you do to mitigate them? Not giving an estimate is probably the first and biggest problem because you are required under the legislation, under Uniform Laws and the Legal Profession Act for matters pre-1 July 2015. You've always, you know, estimates are essential. You can't meet your disclosure obligations until you've provided an estimate. But it's not a case of tick a box, I've done the estimate, now I can forget about it. Um, one of the big problems is updating of estimates and going along. As I said, you know, I have that 70% rule. Not putting enough in the estimate to start with, not thinking about all of the, the variables, and that can be, um, be difficult to sometimes think about. It's also, it is an estimate, not a quote, so you need to be aware of that and the client needs to understand that and you need to convey that to the client that... So just explain to me the difference between an estimate and a quote. Okay. So a quote, so you go in to get your car serviced and the mechanic says, I will service your car and it will cost $450 plus if I use oil, you know, that'll be extra. That's a quote. If you go in and the, the, the mechanic says, or the lawyer says, you know, I estimate that it will cost $450 and that's my best estimate, but I might need to spend a bit longer or I might need to spend less... There is an overriding obligation on lawyers under the legislation to not charge more than is fair and reasonable. So just because you do an estimate doesn't mean you can charge that. 
um, you know, it, it's like fixed fees. Just because you say you're going to charge something doesn't mean you can unless you've done the work. Um, so there can be a tendency with estimates for lawyers to think, oh, well, it's all right, I'm within the estimate, I can just do what I need to do. Um, but the biggest tendency I see and the biggest problem is underestimating, not being prepared to actually bite the bullet and say what it's going to cost. And often that comes down to how you approach the estimate. As I said, the, that idea of thinking of it as a security for costs affidavit is a really good one because it really does turn your mind to how it's done. I find practitioners who work in the areas of probate um, and also family law because part of their practice and part of the court's requirements in their matters is to provide cost estimates and statements tend to be quite good at right. doing estimates. Um, other litigators can struggle a bit and it's hard because you, when you, at the outset of a litigation matter, you don't know whether the other party's going to play ball, you don't know how many interlocutory hearings there's going to be. It, it's, it's the variables very, are actually enormous in litigation. They are. They? And that's why it's really important to stay on top of it. And as I mentioned with the bullet points, turn your mind to it regularly and think about where are we up to? If you're at 70% but you're signing the deed of settlement next week, you're okay. But if you're at 70% and you haven't got a hearing date, then you're really going to, to struggle. So I think that is part of the problem. In terms of, you know, getting your estimates right or at least having a decent crack at them, you know, it not only do you meet your obligations under the uniform laws, but you are able to, you know, think about disbursements, turn your mind to it from the outset, think about your game plan for the matter as, as a whole. Um, it reduces client uncertainty and I find that if estimates are good, you manage the client relationship right from the outset. Um, it also means that you're more likely to get paid on mm -hmm. time. And our you know, studies show that when lawyers suffer cash flow problems because you know, they haven't done a great estimate, the client's then slow to pay, the client has a cash flow issue, that's when lawyers are more inclined to take on work that they're not good at doing. That's when they make mistakes. I mean, law covers... Yeah, it's certainly borne out in our statistics. There's a real correlation between people who've got too much locked up in in unrecovered time um, and people who are cutting corners or accepting work in areas where perhaps they shouldn't. Yeah, yeah it's, it can be a problem. And if you're estimating something's going to cost 10000 and you've spent thirty, and I hear this from practitioners regularly, well, do I just write off the rest of the time? And, you know, if you're writing off even $5,000 and you're charging... $500 an hour, that's 10 hours that you're not recovering, mm -hmm. which is 20 hours you've got to do to get back to where, where you were. I mean, as lawyers, we sell our time. That's right. Along with and if you're expertise. going to be profitable, you've, you've, got, to you've got to be time. focused on it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think yeah. it's really, estimates really do come into that whole way of how you manage your practice. Mm. Um, it's very important. Yeah. So are there some, some things that you can suggest in terms of... Um, how you minimise those risks when you're providing an estimate to a client? Look, I think it's important to be methodical and have a system as to how you go about doing your estimate, as I said. Um, it's important to remember that the days of doing an estimate that were, you know, I think your matter will cost between fifty dollars and $150,000 are over. Mm -hmm. With the introduction of the uniform laws and the position taken by the Legal Services Commissioner in Victoria, it's become clear that that's just not Acceptable. Is it still okay to include a range, though? Look, I can't say any range, but it's very hard to not have any range at all. I think what is important is the size of your range. It needs to be very, very tight. And I think you need to break your estimate down into 
manageable chunks so that where you are having a range, you're not saying from five to 15,000, it might be five to six and a half thousand. I mean, there's no, there's nothing in the legislation that says you can't have a range as such, but you've got to be very, very careful about it. Um, the other thing you've got to avoid, it was very popular, you know, 10, 15 years ago, I still see solicitors doing it now, is the providing a table that says, you know, we estimate if you recover between 100 and 150,000, our fee will be 10,000. If you recover 150 to 250, it'll be 15. Now, while in your own mind, you're not making the fee contingent upon the result, that's how that can be read at cost assessment. And there's an absolute prohibition on contingency fees for lawyers. Mm. Our, our fee can never be tied to what the result is. Mm. So that's a real risk as well. I mean, the risk with estimate ranges is that they're just too broad. Yeah. Um, and you've got to remember that we're governed by consumer protection legislation, effectively. Um, so, you know, where does, is there sufficient transparency? That's, mm. that's the issue. Yeah. I suppose that in some ways, if you're doing the same kind of work frequently, it's easier to give a more accurate estimate. Um, would you recommend that even when you're doing, for example, a fixed um, cost estimate that you still record your time and make sure that you're Ab keeping a track of it? Absolutely, and that's for a couple of reasons. One, under the uniform laws, a client can still ask for an itemised bill. So even if you provide a fixed fee or a capped fee, you know, or even for a client that you do regular work, there's nothing to stop that client within 30 days of being given the lump sum bill of asking for an itemisation of your work. So you need to be able to provide that. If you're not recording your time, then you should be at least writing down file notes with start and finish times for the work that you do. The other reason that's quite important from a practice management and a risk management perspective is you need to know whether you're actually making money out of those files. And so if you're not recording your time, how do you know that the $3,000 or the $5,000 that you're charging is actually enough? Or is it too much? I mean, I had a matter where I acted for the a client whose former solicitors had charged a fixed fee. Um, they, the fixed fee was in the order of $70,000. When they were asked to itemise the bill, the best they could come up with was about $27,000. But they thought because they'd done a fixed fee, they could charge it. Yeah. Fortunately for my client, the cost assessor disagreed. And I don't act for many private clients, but I thought in this instance it was appropriate. And on their own reckoning, they couldn't get past $27,000 in the, in the itemisation. So it is important. And I think perhaps they hadn't kept time records. So I think that is really important. What's also important is getting sufficient information from your client when you first meet with them to actually be able to do the estimate and to break it down into those portions. And one, you know, circumstances can alter over the course of a matter, but the more things you know up front, the better. Um, it's also important to understand the client's objectives and expectations because that can impact on how they utilise your services. And look at past matter histories. You know, look at work that you've done in the past can be a useful guide um, to, you know, if you are going down that fixed fee route or even just with estimates generally. You know, look at, you know, often how do these matters play out? Get a feel for it. Talk to, talk to your colleagues, you know, bounce, bounce around, you know, ideas, I mean, we all know other lawyers, um, you know, to say, look, I'm thinking of doing a fixed fee estimate in this matter, um, you know, this is the background, you know, does that sound right to you? And sit down and think about what your hourly rate is 
and what number you're at the end. And if you you know if your hourly rate's five hundred dollars an hour, and you're going to say you, you you'll do the matter for five thousand dollars, is it going to take ten hours, or is it because ten hours disappears pretty pretty Very quickly? Fast. Yeah, particularly in, you know anything involving litigation. Yeah. And also I guess you might want to think about whether that kind of work is the sort of work you want to be doing if it's much less profitable than something that you could otherwise be doing. That's right. Um, you also need to take into account the, the risk factors um, involved in a matter. You know, do you have multiple clients um, that you're reporting to? Are there any third-party payers involved? So, you know, where your client isn't the one paying your bill but, but someone else? Is there a self-represented litigant on the other side? Because that can make life extremely difficult. Um, who are you briefing as counsel? You know, are your clients saying, well, I want everything done at a cut price, so you're using a counsel who may not be as experienced as you would normally choose to brief? That can increase, you know, the risk that's involved. And, you know, as I said, bounce, bounce the estimate off someone else. Um, one of the things we do in the law cover risk management briefings around costs and in the roadshows is we do cost estimate workshops. So I get groups who, who don't know each other and we give them a scenario, whether it's a litigated or a non-litigated one, and say, sit down and, and do an estimate for me. This is what you're charging per hour. These are the, the base background facts. Now, I don't care what the number is at the end. What I'm interested in is seeing the process. And I'm always really intrigued by how different groups approach things and we always pick up points from each other. Yeah. Um, it's a really worthwhile exercise. I mean, if you're in a firm with, you know, other solicitors um, or you're a sole practitioner but you know some other solicitors, maybe think about doing that as a learning exercise. It's a great idea, really um, great idea. Because it really does focus you on yeah. the different approaches. And opens your mind to the idea that there's not just one way to do this. That's right. And, you know, and there's not just one way to do this necessarily within your own practice either. Yeah. You know, different courses for different horses, different matters may require you to adopt mm. a different mm. approach, even if it's within the same specialty that you, yeah. you practice in. Yeah. I want to circle back to talking about costing models. So you've mentioned fixed fees, but I think it would be useful to, and, and I can absolutely understand from a client's perspective what the appeal is with a fixed fee, um, but do you perceive that there are advantages and traps as well with using fixed fees? Well, I think fixed fees can be very useful if you do a lot of transactional work or you have a client who sends you you know, regular matters. So you've got a large commercial client who sends you regular matters. I mean, fixed fee is not new. Um, you know, 20 years ago when I was doing personal injury, insurers were insisting on a, a form of fixed fee, which was event... And that was for litigation It was work. for litigation work, event-based yeah. costing. You know, if you're a defendant lawyer you've in, in insurance, you're very familiar with event-based costing. But what was interesting was how often we could get outside of the event <laughs> and call it a catastrophic um, because otherwise you didn't make any money. And I think that is one of one of the risks. I mean, I absolutely can understand why clients enjoy the certainty of it, but there is a risk that, one, you're not charging enough and more often than not I see with, with fixed fee costing, it's the lawyer who comes off second best because they haven't sat down and done an estimate before they've picked a number. They haven't benchmarked some files and I think if you interested in doing fixed fee, benchmarking is really important and not just as a one-off but, you know, every six months or 12 months. So can you just unpack what you mean when you say mm. benchmarking? So benchmarking would mean sitting with some of your files, like a, a small, a medium, a large and one that was odd, working out how long you actually spent on the matter and if you, if you did a fixed fee on it, what did you charge for it and where does the time spent sit against 
what you charged. So if you are going to charge a fixed fee, say that you do regular commercial transactional work, actually sit down and work out if you were charging on an hourly rate, what number you would be getting to. Of course, in the back of your mind, you always have to remember that the fee charge, whether it's a fixed fee matter or not, must be fair and reasonable for the work that's done. And the uniform laws impose a positive obligation on lawyers that the fee must be fair and reasonable. So when I talk about benchmarking, it is literally finding the benchmark for where matters sit, but doing it in a very methodical, organised manner, mm. not just thinking, oh, that one was about 15000 yeah. I mean, we used to talk in the old days about weighing the file. Yeah. And I think sometimes with fixed fee, that's, that's what's happening without a great deal of yeah. thought going into what's behind it. I can hear practitioners it. saying who's got the time to sit down and go through that exercise. What would your response be to that? Well, time is what we sell. Yeah. You know, and if you are, if you're going to go with fixed fee and you set your fee as $5,000, but in fact, if you actually sat down and look at it, even if you're doing 5500 for every 10 matters, you're losing $5,000. You know, if, if you're charging 5000 and really you're doing seven or $8,000 worth of work, that's a big haircut that you're taking on every matter. I mean, if you do want to go with fixed fee, you in some ways are streamlining the time you spend down the track, but it's like anything, you've, you've got to put your effort in. And it's, it's a twofold exercise too. You need to make sure you are meeting your, your legal obligations and disclosure obligations are strict, but you also need, from a practice management and a business perspective, need to make sure, you know, that you are actually making money out of the exercise. I mean, you want to choose your pro bono matters, not have them thrust upon you. And, you know, if you were selling something in a shop, you wouldn't just buy the stock wholesale and whack it up on the shelf and put a price on it without taking into account your rent and your staff costs. It, you know, it, it, we are, it is business yeah. at the end of the day. Yeah. What happens if you've given a, a, a fixed fee estimate and then something happens in the middle of the matter and you decide you no longer want to act for the client or you can't any longer act for the client because you have a conflict or something like that. How do you deal with that situation where you had agreed that you would do this work for this money but you need to pull out? Well, it's important that in your fee disclosure you have already provided for this situation and contingency. So in a fixed fee agreement, I would always recommend that you include an hourly rate because... You need a fallback position if you have to go back and cost out the work that you've done. And you need to provide in your disclosure document that in the event that something like you've just described happens, you know, that the client takes their instructions elsewhere or the client, you know, for various reasons and, and usually in a fee disclosure it will set out different situations, you know, if you've lost confidence, if you're not responding, that sort of thing, that in the event that that happens, the hourly rate will be applied to the work you know, up to the amount of the fixed fee. Now, some fee disclosures I see say, well, we can just charge you an hourly rate and, and then can go beyond the fixed fee. I think that's very problematic. Right. I think I wouldn't ever try and recover more than what the maximum of the fixed fee was in those circumstances. But it's very important to have in the disclosure that if something happens before the resolution of the matter, the hourly rate will be applied. And that should be front and centre, and I wouldn't shy away from that because how else are you going to calculate it? That's that's the reality. You can't say, well, it was half done, so I'm going to, you know, charge 50%. Uh, something I often get from practitioners around fixed fees, oh, well, it swings and roundabouts. You know, I might charge a bit more on this one, but I might lose a bit on the next one. Well, 
That's not how the, the uniform law works. The cost must be fair and reasonable to each client. And client A can't be picking up the loss you made on client B. Mm. So you always should have yeah, that. You in. wouldn't be very happy to be client A. In no, that that's right. You're <laughs> client B. You, yeah. You're pretty happy. But that's, that's yeah. very important. Yeah. So um, when do you think that fixed costs are appropriate and when do you think they're not appropriate? Appropriate for, as I said before, transactional work, uh, where there's a high degree of certainty around the amount of work that will be done. Um, not appropriate, you know, if there is a high degree of risk or a high degree of uncertainty. Um, not appropriate if you're new to doing that area of work, you know, if you don't really know uh, how to scope it out. Um, it may not be appropriate uh, within your firm structure as well. It may just be that it doesn't work for you as a firm. Um, family law matters can be very difficult to do a fixed fee in because the variables are so high and sometimes the party's behaviour can disintegrate very rapidly. Yeah. Um, I, th I think litigation matters are particularly hard to, to do a fixed fee in. Um, but if you were leaning towards that fixed fee model, I think it, it would almost need to go back to that event-based costing, right. staged fixed fees. Yeah. So you talk about staging as being one of your risk minimisation strategies. Absolutely. Because um, with staging, you're kind of keeping keeping it more defined, you know, what's involved and, and what work you do. I, mean, I had a discussion recently with a practitioner who was thinking of doing fixed fee for family law and what he was talking about, which I thought was quite good, was um, a fixed fee excluding court work. Okay. So for work excluding court work. So it's a mixture. Work, yeah, it was a mixture. So it's a hybrid. So fixed fee up to the first day of hearing, excluding court work, with court work to be charged at a set fee of a half day or whatever it was. And we're still sort of playing around with that model, but I think it's got real potential. But you don't necessarily have to lock yourself in to, to fully fixed fee. And for a litigated matter, I think that's... Probably not. Sounds like a sensible yeah. approach. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the other risk minimisation point you, you had was around getting as much information from the client as you can before you start. Um, if you've given a fixed fee estimate and then something comes to light that would have been nice if the client had told you from the start... Um, should you be on the front foot getting in there and revising your fixed fee? Or? Absolutely. I mean, fixed fee does reward efficient practitioners. You know, you're not getting paid to run up, you know, hours and hours of, of work and it can, you know, lower the potential for, for payment disputes. But if something comes out of the ordinary, then it is important to, to be proactive. It gets back to what we are talking about at the start of the conversation, proactive, not reactive. Um, it's also quite important if that happens that you actually look at what you define the scope of work as and is this falling outside the scope of work or is this completely changing the game plan because you can't just sort of change your mind halfway through and go oh well the fixed fee's not working for me now mm -hmm. um, you've got to be very careful about that so I think it's very important in your disclosure that you've addressed that situation um, and you know you can with fixed fee you may factor in what's effectively a risk fee. So with a fixed fee, you might be building in a contingency already of, you know, 1,000 or 2,000 or whatever the number the number is or a 20% sort of risk fee being factored in. But you do have to bear in mind that if you've done that, if you end up doing less work, then you really shouldn't be charging right. the full amount. So fixed fee really isn't set and forget. Mm. And I, I think there's a tendency 
to think that it is, but the way the uniform laws operate and the legislation that we practice under doesn't permit us to behave. Mm. Like so people that. who think that fixed fees are a bit of a panacea for people who don't like time recording, would you be inclined to think that they probably ought to be recording time anyway? Absolutely, because as I said, you can always ask as a client for the itemised bill. Under uniform laws, they've only got 30 days as a client. Now it's much less open-ended than the previous Act, but there still is that provision to ask for the itemised bill and there is still that requirement that our fees have to be fair and reasonable and that is a positive obligation that came with the uniform laws. Uh, fixed fee or not, that obligation doesn't go away. And if you're not recording your time, if you're not keeping track of where you spend time, how do you know if your cost estimates are accurate? How do you know if you're charging the right amount or you're overcharging or undercharging? And, you know, how do, how do you get around complications, you know, you, you need to think about that. So get, I think getting disclosure right for fixed fee it can be very difficult. Mm. I'm not saying it can't be done, but you, it, it's not a set and forget. You know, yeah. as you say, it's not a panacea for yeah. everything that you don't like about costs. It seems like the area of costs continues to present lots of challenges to solicitors. And I guess the message is that there are responsibilities, expectations and rights for the solicitor, but there are also responsibilities, expectations and rights for the client and we can't lose sight of that need to be fair and reasonable. Um, one of the things that I feel is often overlooked by lawyers is that it's reasonable for them to factor into their value proposition the risk and skill involved in the work that they do. Um, and I think that a lot of, a lot of lawyers struggle with that and struggle with even valuing for themselves the level of their own knowledge and skills. Um, but I think finding a way to have that conversation with clients that conveys to the client that what they're actually getting from the lawyer has real value um, is perhaps key. I'd agree with that. I, I think all of those things that you've touched on there are really important in managing that client relationship and, and that's what it really is. It is a relationship. You know, it might be a relationship of circumstance, it might be a, a business relationship, but at the end of the day, you know, it is that relationship that you're managing. Well, thanks so much for joining us today, Jacqueline. Thank you, it's been lovely. Thanks for listening to Risk On Air by Law Cover. Join us for the next episode and subscribe to stay up to date. For cases and references mentioned in each podcast, visit lawcover.com.au.